Is God good or what? Man, man, I love the words of that song. I love where it takes me. But see, the problem with us sometimes is that we will sing the words to a song and we just, we don't allow our, our hearts and our minds to really settle in what's being said. We just sing along. But when you allow your heart to connect with what's being said, it, it give, honestly, it gives you freedom. It gives you freedom. And I'm saying that because so many times I've heard Pastor Jeff say, let's sing the truth. Let's sing, let's sing it like we mean it. You know what I mean? And when you do, God, you can, you can see his presence. You can feel his presence. You know his presence is there. But when you don't, you're thinking about everything else in the world and everything else that's going on. Let's just pray right now to make sure, to ensure that our hearts are completely connected, that we are one accord, and that we are looking to hear what God has to say to us today. Lord God, I just come into you right now, Father. I thank you and I praise you for what you have to say to us today. God, I thank you that you have set the atmosphere, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that you are ready to speak. I pray right now for Pastor Jeff as he brings your word. Lord God, touch his lips, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, fill him with your Holy Spirit to overflowing so that we can hear what thus saith the Lord today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said. Thank you, Pastor. Find the book of Luke. <clears throat> the book of Luke, chapter 15, please. Familiar passage. I know you know the parables that live in that wonderful book. I, I love opening a chapter where all the words are in red, amen? Just uh, something about knowing these came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. I've titled this message today, and I've, I've said this as long as I've been preaching, that I'm no good at titling messages. <clears throat> I'm just not. I... I I focus on the takeaway that I want y'all to leave with instead of the, uh, the hook of the title. But this just kind of stuck with me and it's been on my heart as I've prepared. I want to look at two versions of Christianity. Now before you think I'm getting ready to be heretical and rewrite the gospel, I'm not going to do that. But you and I fall in one of these two versions I'm getting ready to share with you. We may not realize it. We may not even accept it, to be honest with you. My prayer has been that God would just reveal to us where we are in terms of how we follow Jesus. Because that's what I want to talk to you about today, following Jesus. But I want to look at it from a little different perspective, if I could please. And I'm going to ask you to get in these scriptures because it's very, very important that you do. You're in Luke chapter 15. I want to I want to go to Mark or excuse me Matthew where Jesus is getting ready to call two of his disciples. He's getting ready to call Simon, we know him as Peter and his brother Andrew. Matthew chapter 4 verse 18, 19 and 20. Your Bible says this and mine says as Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
verse 19. And here's our assignment as Christ followers, and that is to heed the call that Jesus gives us where he says, verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, I'll send you out to fish for people. I'll send you out to fish for people. The New King James says, I'll make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. What I want you to notice here is that Jesus is calling us to follow him. Jesus hasn't changed. He's, uh, your Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Say amen if you agree with that. So, so therefore, his, his calling is the same. If he called his disciples back then saying, follow me, then he, that's what he does for us. And he tells them, just come and follow me. But I love the fact that he said, I'll send you out to fish for people. And they immediately obeyed. They just they laid down their nets and off they went. We want to respond to that calling, amen. And I know many of you have. However, there is a very important question that we have to ask ourselves if we're going to follow him. And that's where is he going? Now immediately, if you're a church kid, you thought, well, he's going to the cross. Right? Fair answer. So much bigger though. If you're serious about following someone, you have to know where they're going. You have to know their point, their purpose their perspective, you have to know those things before you can follow intentionally and successfully. It's in our best interest that we know where someone's going if we are going to align ourselves with them. Somebody say amen right there, because it's important that we get that. I understand faith. I understand that we may not know when Jesus calls us, we may not know what all that entails. Please understand I get that. I so get that. How many know that if if, if I would have known what God was going to have me do when I responded to Jesus' call, I don't know that I would even have done it. I mean, that's the Sunday school truth. I can't be more transparent than that. You might be more spiritual than me, and you're like, I would have because I'm a warrior. I get it. But here's the reality is, I don't think that we have to know, nor will we know, exactly how it'll play out. But we have to know the person leading. We have to know their purpose and their point. Or we'll never follow intentionally and all in. We'll follow until it gets inconvenient. We'll follow until it gets uncomfortable. If you agree with that, say amen. We're going to end up wherever the person who's leading is going. I want to say that one more time, and I want you to just kind of log that away. We're going to end up wherever the person who's leading is going. So again, the question for you and I is, where will we end up if we're very, very serious about following Jesus? What will that look like? What will he have us do? How can we do it exactly how he did it? Because what I've learned is there's two versions of, well, Christianity. Thankfully, there's a chapter in the Bible, Luke 15, that gives us an answer. Luke 15 contains three parables, and you know them. And I'm not going to try to unpack these parables to the degree that I'm going to reinvent the wheel for you whatsoever. That's not my intention. It's not my point today. But it's the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. 
You're familiar with them. I know you are. But what we have to understand is that normally when Jesus is teaching, when, uh, and you know what a parable is. A parable is an earthly story to make a heavenly point. That's a parable. It's a story. Most of the time, when Jesus is speaking in parables, he'll give one. He'll give one parable about a purpose and a principle that he's trying to unpack, and it's just one. In a few occasions, primarily in the book of Matthew, we see he does two. But there's one place in Scripture where he does three, where he uses three parables to communicate one truth. And that's in our text in Luke 15. Now, I'm a firm believer that nothing's in the Bible by accident. If there's three times that Jesus wants us to understand this point that he's trying to make, and he tries to say the same thing three different ways, it behooves us to listen. It behooves us to get in this story because this is a big deal. This is a huge deal because Jesus thought it necessary to not blow past it. He thought it necessary to not just give it once or twice. Instead, as he's looking at the people and he's sharing these parables, he can see in their face that you're not getting this. You're not getting this. And I know in 2022, there's going to be a conflict on what the church's purpose is. So I need to drive this home, Jesus is thinking. I need to make sure my followers get this because this is original Christianity. This is why I came, this is why I died, this is why I will raise again, Luke 15. He wants us to get it. And the message of these parables communicate the answer to the question of where is he going? It answers the question, how should I follow? What will it look like for me if I'm following Jesus Christ? If he comes by and says, hey, Jeff Burke, follow me. And I'm like, I'm on it. Here we go. I'm following you. If I'm going to do that, I have to be all in for his assignment. Because his assignment just became my assignment. If I'm going to follow him like he originally designed. So I'm going to read the first two parables. I'm not going to read the third parable of the prodigal son. You know it. I preached on it recently. I'll tell you about it, but I'm not going to read it because it is kind of lengthy. But I want to read the first one and the second one. Luke 15, would you go to verse 4, please? I'll be reading out of the NIV. It says this, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So he's asking us a question. You have to be in this story or we won't be able to connect because nobody in this room is raising sheep right now. Nobody in this room is going to go home and go feed the sheep. Now, maybe somebody watching on Facebook, they're going to go home and feed the sheep. I don't know. Nobody in this room is going home and feed the sheep. I'll feed my dogs. ain't feeding my sheep. So you've got to get in here. You've got to hear Jesus ask us these questions because they're designed to show us where he's going. Suppose one of you have 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends, his neighbors together, and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. There's rejoicing. I said there's rejoicing. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Verse 8. Or, Jesus said, you didn't, you didn't get it that time. So, so let, me, let me go from another angle. Because I think 
the, the, the gentlemen got it because they're the shepherd. But you know what? There's some ladies over here that are they're doing their nails. So I need, to, I need to say this again some way they can get it. So, okay, so suppose a woman has 10 silver coins, loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house? Look at what she's doing. She lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, and she searches carefully until she finds it. She doesn't stop. She doesn't give up. She doesn't quit. She doesn't cut corners. She's diligent. She turns the light on. The light has to expose the darkness. Somebody say amen. She has to sweep everything up. She's got to clean it up. She's got to get this debris out of the way so she can clearly see where the lost one is. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found the lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And of course, then Jesus goes right into the parable of the prodigal son. Basically, you know the story. A father's got two sons. One of the sons comes in and requests his inheritance. By the way, if you've heard it taught wrong, let me clarify it for you. That wasn't, he wasn't out of line. He wasn't wrong. That was, that was common in the day this was written. A son could go, and you know what? The father would give it to him. Now, how that played out is usually up to the kid who takes the money, but that wasn't uncommon for that to happen. He wasn't saying, I wish you were dead, as we've all heard it taught. He said, give, it, give me my inheritance in advance. I want to go do some stuff with it. His dad gave it to him. He spent it all. The son came to his senses, and he realizes, man, oh, man, I am not where I need to be. I'm, 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 not, I'm not where my father is. He said, man, I, I, my father, I wonder if he would receive me as a servant. I wonder if he'd receive me as a slave. I love the fact your Bible says he came to himself. And while he's still far away, he decides to go back to his father's house. And while he's still far away, your Bible says that the father sees him, begins to take off running, embraces him. I love the way it's worded. He falls on his neck. He kisses him. You know the story. He gets the robe. He gets the ring. He gets some sandals. They had a, a, a calf that was fattened, prepared in advance because he knew the son would come home. So they had a celebration. They had a rejoicing, if you will. We know that there was a son that was jealous for the attention. There was a son that didn't quite understand the purpose of the father. You can see in every one of these three parables, there are some things that are common. They have things in common. There are things, there's a thread, there's a line that goes through it. There are some things in the wrong place and there's some things in the right place. There are some things that are exactly where they're supposed to be. There's 99 sheep that are exactly where they're supposed to be. There's nine coins that are exactly where they're supposed to be. There's one son that's exactly where he's supposed to be. Exactly. Now, his attitude's jacked up, but he's right where he's supposed to be. And then in these stories, there's someone that's representing God. Remember, it's a heavenly story to make an earthly point. In the first parable of the lost sheep, we know God's the shepherd. And the sheep, as I said, they're in the wrong place. But there's 99. 99 that the shepherd must lead. The second parable, the picture of God there is the woman. There's coins that are in the right place. And there's one. We don't know what happened. 
We don't know why it's lost. We just know it is. And then finally, the third parable, you know it's the prodigal son. God's represented by the father. So two categories, and I want you to get this. Right place, wrong place. Right place, wrong place. 99, right place. 1, wrong place. 10 coins. We got 9 in the right place, 1 in the wrong place. Now the big point I think Jesus is trying to make here in these three parables is which category gets Jesus' attention? What is his main focus? You see it behind me. Which category gets Jesus' main focus? Can I just spoiler alert something for you? It ain't the 99. Oh, I'm just going to go in a little more, Pastor Dwayne. It's not the ones in the right place. It's not the nine coins. The rejoicing did not take place in heaven because 99 stayed where they were supposed to. There wasn't a party breaking out over the banisters of heaven as they're looking over because nine coins were in the right place. The father did not get jacked and stoked and throw a party and fatten a calf because of the son that stayed. Oh, he had it all. He was good. In fact, the father tells him, you had all this already. Your son is, your brother rather, is alive. We're going to celebrate the fact that he came home. What was Jesus' main focus? Which category? And in the story of the shepherd, the shepherd's full focus is about the one. It's just not where they're supposed to be. It's the one that's not got it together. It's the one that wanders. It's the one that drifts. Come on now. It's the one that struggles to remain within the confines of the sheepfold. You know the type, right? I wonder what's on the other side of the fence. See, that was the, that's, that was the deal with this son in the prodigal son story. Can I, have, can I have my inheritance, pops? I want to see how the other half lives. I just want to see what's out there. I ain't been off this farm ever. goes out and he loses it but he comes back here's something that we never ever hear Jesus talk about and this Duane is where my conviction came into play when we talked about this since I can remember even as a kid when my parents would argue and they would fight you know you know you know our parents do yours did it mine did I remember trying to process the data of why they're fighting. And I would come up with some reasons. And I would immediately try to engage in fixing that. For example, my father had a bad habit. And him and I have talked about this many times. He's, he's in heaven now, thank God. But we had a lot of conversations about this. Even when I was a lad and as, as a grown man. He would... He would he would get ready to go to work. He owned his own, he built houses, he owned his own company. And he would get ready to go to work and he would say, my mother's name was Margaret. 
He'd say, Marg, today, I... that's it. Because he would start doing something else. Hey, Marg, I, today, what I need you to, can you, hey, Jeff, make sure the ladder's on the, just, and, he would, and he wouldn't tell mom. Well, mom kind of had it up to here with that. So mom stopped asking. Dad would come home, and dad would say, hey, Marg, did you, uh, did you go to the bank today? Nope. I clearly told you to go to the bank. And I would be like, hey, Dad, no, you didn't. You started to, but you I, I clearly told her to go to the bank. No, you didn't. And so I would listen. When I would hear Dad not finish a sentence, I immediately, I wanted to, I wanted to fix it. So I'm like, hey, Dad, what did you want Mama to do? I'll make sure, I'll, I'll remind you. Oh, I just need her to go to the bank. But I told her. Well, no, you didn't, but that's not important right now. I always tried to figure out the why. In 1993, I surrendered to the call of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel. It was in 93. And I embarked on that ministry trying to follow exactly what God was asking me to do, but I spent a lot of time trying to get people to understand their why. Why they drifted. Why they were in the wrong place. Because in my mind, I'm a root cause type of person. I'm a problem solver and I'm a fix-it guy, right? So I would be like, look, if we can find out why you're doing this, problem solved. Not so much. I said not so much. What struck me in these parables, what was it, Dwayne, Wednesday? Wednesday, Thursday? I'm like, bro, we have the opportunity to work together. If you call that work, we work together. And I said, I go, bro, nowhere in these parables where it, the focus of Jesus are those in the wrong place, nowhere in these parables does he even hint to the why. It's as if it doesn't matter. The why you are where you are doesn't matter. Why someone is lost doesn't matter. Why someone drifted doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And we can try to narrow it down and label it and categorize it as, as lust or greed or pride. And, and we just, we, we, we got to tack a sin to it or we can't seem to deal with it. Jesus doesn't address it because he knows the why. The why is sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden. And our assignment, original Christianity was Find the one that's lost. Find the one that's lost. Stop trying to beat him with the why. Stop trying to get him to understand the why. Stop trying to get him to see their problem. They know their problem. Just go get them. Sweep the room. Turn on the light. Leave the 99 and go to the one. And just put him on your shoulder. Carry him back. Your Bible said him. he puts it on his shoulder and carries them back and we call our friends we call our neighbors and we rejoice we rejoice we're not rejoicing over the ones in the right place we're rejoicing that the ones in the wrong place made it back to the right place ministry is focused 
on those in the back. Praise God. So I believe what Jesus is trying to teach us in these parables. And I, man, and I've taught out of these parables, and, and you have too, and you've heard way better sermons out of these parables than even you're hearing today. But please hear this. What I see as the common thread is this. Our attention should be focused on that which is lost. Because he's going to find the lost sheep. He's going to find the lost coin. He's going to find the lost son and daughter. And on his way to go to the one that's in the wrong place, he's going to turn around and his eyes are going to meet my eyes. Me standing in the right place. And while he's leaving to go get the one in the wrong place, he's going to look around at me and say, follow me. Well, I will, but I got 47 phone calls to make and noses to wipe. Well, okay. Jesus, don't wait on me. No, it's not how it works. And while he's going to get the one, I have a choice. At that moment, I have a choice. Do I want the original version of Christianity or do I want the new version? The new version that says, this is the right place. And you know I'm not downplaying. We've given our life to the church. You know I'm not to the kingdom of God. You know I'm not downplaying. We're not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. If, don't misquote me, please. Kim gets really mad about that. Don't misquote me. But what I'm saying is this. This ain't it. It's just not. See, see, we get up and we do God a favor by coming to the right place. And I, there's no other place. I, please don't miss it. There's no other place I want to. I wouldn't have missed what we did that first hour for all the money in China. But here's the reality. The reality is that's not the end. I suggest it's the beginning. At the very least, it's the beginning. N no sheep got accolades for staying in the right place. No coin got elevated on the mantle because they didn't fall off the table. The son that remained behind that did not ask for his inheritance, he got scolded. And the one that returned got the celebration. You know the story. Jesus is saying, follow me not only to church on Sunday, although that is part of the deal, a, 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 a glorious part of the deal, but follow me to find another lost sheep. Follow me to find another lost coin, another son, another daughter. That is the original version of Christianity. I see all through the Bible, and we, we talk about it, and we say, let's do this, uh, and then we fall back into 2022 Christianity. When Jesus says, follow me, we get excited and we say, awesome, awesome, where are we going? Where are we going? <laughs> he says, well, 
ain't going to be as fun as you thought it was going to be. Because we got to run down the one that's caught in the briars. We got, and you got to carry them back. FYI. Oh, and to find the coin, you got you to get a light. It, it, listen, and I know you know this, and, I, and I'm not being condescending, but it helps me to put myself in the scripture. They didn't, the, the lady, the lady who, who was looking for the, she didn't go in and go and turn a light switch on. No, it was, there was some effort to get even a light going. And then after the light was going, you had to sweep the joint, right? It had to be, you had to get stuff out of the way. It, it, we've lost, I've lost sight of the original Christianity. And I'm bothered by it. How do we get to the point in our walk with Jesus where we've forgotten the whole purpose of why we're following him? How, how do you get there? And, and, and before you think I'm being accusatory, you might not be there. Thanks for going along this ride with me. But how do, how do, I, I, I had to close the loop on this. How, how, how do you get to that point where comfort, stability, all of those things outweighs and overshadows the original call of Jesus Christ to follow him to get the one? How does that happen? Well, I think we can, I think we can find it. Let's go back to the two guys we read about in Matthew Specifically, I want to look at Peter. You don't have to turn there. Obviously, the verses will be behind me. We, 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 know, that, we know that Peter followed him. We know that. Pastor Ben and I were talking uh, last week about The Chosen, that, that TV show, The Chosen, about the role, the dude that plays Peter in that, man. That dude, listen, if they give Emmys for that, he needs to get one because that's how Peter is in my head. He's presumptuous. He's kind of quick to respond. But at the same time, you, you, you sense with him, he's like one decision away from blowing it. So Peter did go on to follow Jesus. And man, when you get to the book of Acts, man, the rest is history. But later on in his life, while he's following Jesus, Jesus was getting arrested. Jesus' earthly journey was coming to an end. The road to the cross was starting. Peter made an adjustment. Matthew 26, verse 58. But Peter, why, why did Peter follow him at a distance? Because it was about to get real. His comfort was getting ready to get hijacked. His peace. His paycheck. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest and he entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. He was a participant. He became a spectator. But Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards 
to watch it play out. He was following. Am I right? It says that. He was following. But whenever that he was getting ready to get turned up on his heels, I need to just, I need to, I need to just watch this play out because this don't feel too good. You know the story. I know you know the story, and I won't retell it. But at this point, the stakes become higher. At this point in his following Jesus, the cost becomes too much. It now involves the risk of his safety. It involves the risk of his security. It didn't involve the risk of anything really other than his comfort. And all of a sudden, Peter makes the mistake that I need to now just start watching how something plays out that Jesus is doing instead of just continuing to go on, go on, keep going on, go on, find the one. Jesus didn't tell him to sit down and stop. Jesus didn't tell him to just observe from a distance. No, something inside of Peter caused him to do that. And if you read this chapter later on, you'll see people came up to him and said, aren't you one of his disciples? You know the story. He denies him. He says, I don't know the man. And he begins to let some curse words flow out of his mouth. What we see here is when we allow the distance to get in place, when we're following Jesus, we lose sight of what the destination is. We lose sight of why we're here. We lose sight of, more importantly, why we're there. We lose sight of it. And we lose sight of it because... All of a sudden, what matters more to me about than the one is comfort, security, stability. And we've made it a new version of Christianity. After the resurrection, you, you know the story. You know that Peter was fully restored and he's following Jesus and it's such a beautiful thing and immediately it was now it's all about other people again and he listen when you turn the page into acts after the book of the gospel of john he couldn't care less what anybody thought <laughs> he preached hard he accused the people that were guilty <laughs> and loved on the people that didn't deserve it oh he had some prejudice issues he had to work out but he was willing to work them out amen he was all about the original version of Christianity again, all about the lost sheep, all about the lost coin, all about the lost son or daughter. And I, want to, I want to tell you a story, if that's okay. Um, recently, Miss Kim had fallen asleep. <clears throat> Is end of a day. It wasn't like now. She fell asleep. We were wrapping up our day, and I usually end the day finding something funny to watch on YouTube. It's just what I do. We shouldn't be watching this. That's what Kim says to the kids. Should we be watching this? We are the beautiful. And I, 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 I got down this rabbit hole about the story of the Titanic. Don't know why I never had an interest in it before, but I, I, now I know why. Um, I've got on this deep dive with the Titanic, and I know you know the basic story. I'll, I'll tell you very quickly, 1912, a huge ship. At that time, uh, it was the largest man-made object in the world. 
Uh, it was going from Southampton across the Atlantic. I've got the facts here. That's why I'm reading this. I want to tell you correctly. Had 2,201 passengers on board. In the middle of the night, you know, it hit an iceberg, right? And it began to go down. And three and a half hours after, this is key, three and a half hours after the impact before it disappeared. So there was a lot of time for folks to be saved, a lot of time for things to happen that would have ended so much better, time for lifeboats to be placed in the ocean and people to get in them. But the lifeboats that were lowered into the ocean during the first hour after the impact were at best only at half capacity of people. Now there's hundreds of people literally in the water fighting for their lives, screaming for help, trying to figure out what in the world is getting ready to happen to us. The boats had a capacity of 70 people, and it's clearly documented how many people ended up in each one of them. I'll give you the quick stats. During the first hour, they only loaded 12 to 30 people per boat. So that meant when the ship finally went all the way down, the lifeboats were not full, were not even close to being full, and they had the capacity to save more people. So I have to ask the question, why didn't they? Why didn't they? Well, panic ensued. Welcome to 2022. People didn't know what to do. Welcome to 2022. People lost their mind. I'll stop there. Why didn't they? Why, why were the boats only half full? Why, why were they rowing away when more could have been saved? And this is what is called, and this is a documented fact, it's called the second disaster of the Titanic. And that's the fact that even though there were so many lifeboats and so many seats that were open, everybody started rowing away because the people that were saved managed to shut out the fact that there were people struggling for their life. They could have helped them. They could have got them. They could have drug them in. They could have done whatever they could have done. But they were happy with the fact that they were okay. Oh, let me put it this way. They were in the right place. And the people that were in the wrong place, they just got to do what they got to do. Only one boat, only one lifeboat returned to pick up survivors from the water. One. When I read that, it was like the Spirit of God began to speak to me saying, this, this is the version of end-time Christianity in 2022. <laughs> my, people are, my people who are saved and in the boat are just rowing past the ones who are drowning. Oh, we're quick to prophesy. 
I'm going to might as well go now. I'm in. We're quick to prophesy and tell everybody what God says. Guilty. But follow me didn't include that. I'm not saying it doesn't have a place. I'm saying that ain't number one. That ain't number one assignment for you or me. Number one assignment is find the one and bring them back. We're quick to make it about the insiders. When Jesus came for the outsiders. We're quick to make it about the well when he came for the sick. Listen, I can't express, I tried to express to Miss Kim and to Pastor Dwayne the weight of conviction I felt for the church as a pastor. I can't, not just this, I'm talking about the church. I, I, I can't express the conviction I felt personally and corporately over the reality that the church is happy with the fact that we've made it. And even though this boat's got a lot more seats, we're okay to roll away from the scene of the disaster. <laughs> and of course, I've already confessed, right, wrong, or indifferent, I gotta close these loops, I gotta figure out Okay, God, what do I do? i got to fix this. I begin to pray, and I begin to meditate, and I repented. I started thinking, there's got to be something else in this story. Okay, I read one boat came back. Okay. Okay. I mean, they did what they could do, right? Surely everybody didn't just row past the dying, right, God? God, i got to find something in this to use it, use that the scripture of the parables as a template and lay it over this story that you've put on my heart that I didn't care about five minutes before you put it in my face. And I found another version of life-saving. <laughs> There's a man on board the Titanic. His name was John Harper. This is him. That's John Harper. John Harper, the body dating. John Harper's an interesting character. He was 39 years old. He was a Scottish evangelist, and he was on board the Titanic on his way to Chicago getting ready to do an evangelistic crusade. He was going to preach to thousands of people. John Harper, oh, in the right place. He's one of us. Is he, though? John Harper, he was on his way to do God's work. Oh, but see, there's another detail in this little story that John Harper, with him on the trip was his little daughter, Annie Jessie. She's right there. Six years old. Annie and Jessie, Annie Jessie and John Harper, they were on this boat, and they were among the very first ones, documented facts, they were one of the first ones to realize, oh junk, something's wrong. Did anybody hear that? 
Did anybody feel, can anyone sense that this isn't going to end well? John Harper realized something's got to be done. So John Harper did what I think is a gallant thing to do. He took his daughter and he ran her to the lifeboat. Getting that house in order first. They found the the register of the names of the folks that were in a lifeboat. And in one of the first lifeboats that was lowered into the ocean, Annie Jesse Harper is on that list. But not John. Other passengers of the lifeboat testified that John Harper came up with his daughter, held her for a few seconds, kissed her, And I quote, he said this, I'll see you sometime later, honey. I love you so much. He put her in the lifeboat, made sure she was well taken care of, and watched her as she lowered down into the water and was saved. So what did John Harper do? John Harper, he just went and he ran around the ship. I'm going to read you a quote from someone that witnessed this. He ran around from cabin to cabin, banging on the doors. <laughs> Calling out to people. He said, get to the lifeboat. His perspective was clear. If I die tonight, I know where I'm going. I'm just getting there a little sooner than I planned. Oh, but if somebody dies here tonight and they don't know Jesus, they'll spend all of eternity separated from God. All around him, lifeboats were being dropped into the water. He could have got into any one of those lifeboats, but he didn't. No one would have blamed him for getting in the lifeboat, but he didn't. John Harper ended up being one of the hundreds of people that were in the ocean that night, floating around on debris while boats were going past him. He realized he wasn't going to survive. But see, he knew he was in the right place. So the, pers- the persons who witnessed that they, they testify that he changed his battle cry to get to the lap, from get to the lifeboat to this. At the top of his voice, Holding on to pieces of wood, he said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. People testified that above the cries of anguish, one voice, one voice, your voice, your voice, was louder than the cries. And it was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And only God knows how many people heard that and believed it. 
Only God knows how many people were saved that night, giving their life to Jesus, heading into eternity. But about a year after this disaster, there was a union, a reunion for Titanic survivors. The first person that came up to give his testimony was a young man named William John Mellers. Introduce you to him. This man, oh, he's got a story. Let me tell it to you real quick. He said, I was 19 years old. I boarded the ship. He goes, I was one of the hundreds that ended up in the water floating that night. I still remember holding on to a piece of debris, trying to make it, but realizing I'm going to die before my life even begins. But then as he continued to give his testimony of that night as a survivor, he said, the current brought me close to a man that I now know. is John Harper. This man looked at me as a 19-year-old young man and he shouted to me, do you know Jesus? He said, I'm not willing to answer that right now. I don't know what to say. And John Harper would go under the water, put his head back up and say, believe Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. William tried to process that. He didn't know how. He didn't know what to do. A few minutes later, the current separated him again. And he just drifted. He said he couldn't see John Harper, but that voice... That voice, it kept popping up out of the water. He tried to find it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He said about an hour later, the currents brought us back together. And he said, he said John Harper grabbed his piece of debris, pulled him close. And he said with the rest of his voice, the energy that he had in his body and the Mustering out these words, he said, do you know Jesus now? He said, sir, I can honestly say that I do. And John Harper called out, just to be sure, believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And John Harper went under the water. And he died. William John Miller said, holding onto that piece of wood, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And at that testimony, at the reunion a year after, he said this, and I quote, I was saved twice that night. I was saved from the raging water and I was saved from hell because one man decided to get one man. He went on to share that testimony and talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ.
So here I was face to face with two versions of Christianity. One where we get in half full lifeboats. And row away. Celebrating that we're saved. We considered our comfortability and safety. And we consider it higher than risking anything to find the lost sheep, the lost coin, or the lost son. But on the other hand, we can be John Harper's. <laughs> we can be the John Harper of our generation, realizing that if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to know where he's going. And where he's going is after the one. It's not about building our kingdoms here. It's about building His, giving our all, giving our best, giving our resources, giving our time, giving our energy, giving our money. Well, the one. Well, the one. Told Pastor Duane before I came out this morning. I don't have an application point to leave with you today, church. I I I I don't even have a plan. But I can tell you this. It'll look different going forward. And all we're asking of you, all we're asking of you is get back to the original version of Christianity. Because this, it's not for you. It's just not. It's just not. God, we we're sorry. We're sorry. Just sorry. I invite you, if you're a Christ follower, maybe somehow you want to recommit following Jesus. I just invite you to this altar. Join us.
Maybe your life, like so many times mine has, just started to circle around me. My needs, my wants, my desires, whatever. Church, I'm calling you. I'm calling you. Recommit. Follow him where he's actually going. Be the John Harper of your generation. Start with your home. John Harper made sure little Annie Jessie made it to the boat. <laughs> she was in the right place. Now he had to go get the ones in the wrong place. God help us. One. The one. Oh God. Oh God. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. but I know what you want. Oh, God. Oh, you would fill this room with the ones. With the ones. Would you show us that we have to go get the ones? We have to go get the ones. I have to say, that was, that hit a little different. Life application. This is what you need to know. God has spoken. And I'm going to tell you right now that everybody that just heard this message on Facebook and anywhere else, God has clearly spoken to you. I know I sat there and I heard everything that Pastor Jeff said. He even told me Wednesday. But I heard God say something to me that I just wasn't quite ready for today. Your life application is that you have to go and you have to apply what was said today to your life. You have to live with this today. You have to make a change. You have to take the step. You have to, this is going to be between you and him. 
before it goes anywhere else, before it does anything else. Man, you, you told that story on Wednesday, and I mean, it hit, it hit. But today, when you told that story again, that man took his child. He took his child, and he put it in a lifeboat. Because he knew that that child had some living to do, that that child had some purpose to, to be completed. But he knew his purpose. There was no doubt in his mind of what his purpose was. And then he went about the father's business. That's, I have to live with that. I'm about to take that home and I'm about to sit on that for a while. Because God is speaking to me. So what I'm saying to you is, I told you that about me because I'm telling you, do not walk out of this place and let this go. There is something that God spoke to you specifically, and you're going to have to go home, and you're going to have to chew on it. You're going to have to, between you and him, conversate and talk and ask him, God, what do you, how do you want me to? When do you want me to? You're going to have to ask those questions. Thank you for your obedience, Pastor Jeff. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you. We thank you that you're patient with us. God, we thank you, Father, that you have established, you have set up lifeboats around this world. And Father, we want to ask for your forgiveness that we have allowed people We have allowed one, two, three, four to stay in the wrong place while we safely sit in the right place. God, today I ask and I pray, Lord God, that every person under the sound of my voice would begin to seek your face that they would begin to see what you see if they've never seen it before I pray that they would begin to see the people who are stranded who are drifting who are flailing their arms in desperate need of help Help us to see through your eyes, God. Help us to hear, Father, Holy Spirit, right now in the name of Jesus, touch us. Increase discernment so that we can know without people speaking that they are in need. So that we can draw in the one. Help us to be ready and willing to sweep clean, to remove the things that are in the way, the obstacles. Lord God, help us to be ready and willing to to, to turn on the light, even if, it, even if it displays some of our ugliness. Lord God, help us to be willing to let the light shine. And God, 
Help us not to be like the son who was in the right place, jealous, angry, frustrated, as the one comes in. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And if there's anyone out there who does not know Christ, and you are the one, you hear this message, you've heard this message, and you realize that I am that person, then right here today, now is your time. Now is your time to accept Christ. Now is your time to say yes. Now is your time to make a decision. And I say to you, I say to you, do you know him? Have you said yes? Have you accepted him? And if you haven't, do it now. I want to pray with you and for you. Lord God, I pray right now for that person, for those people, Lord God, that they would accept you, but not only would they accept you, but that they would, that they would actively pursue you, that they would seek you out. God, that they would have an expectation for change in their life. And Lord God, Holy Spirit, I pray that, that you would give them eyes to see how you've already been working and how are you beginning to work in their life even today. Surround them with people who love them, who care for them, and who will get, show them your love. Give them direction so that they can be ready to go out and get the one as well. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, buddy. Let me say one more thing. <clears throat> Part of that story <clears throat> that I read about and some of the survivors talked about was the reason some of the folks, not all, but the reason some of the folks that were in the lifeboats didn't want to go back and save others was because they had a fear that in the panic and the struggle of trying to get the one, then they too may end up going over, getting lost and getting drowned. And I think sometimes with us church kids, it's, there's, there's a trepidation, there's a pause because we don't feel like we can. We don't feel like we have the right words. We don't know how. We don't, and so we won't go back because we're afraid we too will get pulled in because it's, it can get ugly and it can get messy and they can thrash around and um, it doesn't change where Jesus is going. And some of you are very specifically being called by God to mix it up with the ones in the ocean. You've already been anointed to do it. You already have the ability, you already have the gifting to do it. And what I want to do is I just want to pray for those who will be the John Harpers of this generation. 
that you'll do it. And you won't quit. You won't give up. And even if somebody pulls you in, you climb back out and you'll go to the next one. So will you stand with me? Let's agree together and let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we trust you to save us, so we're going to trust you to protect us. We trust you to take us to heaven when we die, and now we're going to trust you to keep us. Lord, we confess our fears. We confess our unbelief. And we say, we're going to not follow you at a distance. We're pulling it in close. We're going where you go. We'll light the light. We'll sweep the floor. We'll leave the 99. We'll find the one. We'll prepare the fattened calf for the celebration when all heaven rejoices when the one comes home. I pray for the individuals under the sound of my voice right now that know you specifically and intentionally called them to lead the charge. You've empowered them. You've anointed them. We just agree with you in the name of Jesus. We agree and we say yes and amen. And we will get the one. Fill this room with the ones for your glory, for the increase of your kingdom. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen and amen. Thank you for your time, your attention, your patience. God bless. Have a great week.